it's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports Instant Analysis Edition. Right at you, right in your ear hole. Just minutes removed from Sunday night's WWE Clash of Champions card from Charlotte. It's your boy BC, the Brian Campbell, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, beside me. And folks, it's not just an IA breaking down all things The Fiend Returns. And a little bit more from Charlotte. Special edition all around when we combine this with a pair of must-hear interviews to get a big week in WWE started. A week that will conclude Wednesday night, USA Network, two hours live. The launch of NXT on regular TV. So we got some big ones. It's Trips. It's Hunter. It's Paul Levesque. It's the patriarch of NXT talking about the move, talking about what that will look like. And it's NXT trainer and two-time Hall of Famer, Shawn Michaels, HPK, the heartbreak kid. Eh, Maybe talk a little sunny days in Bret Hart. We'll get into that in a little bit. But Silver King, we in this thing. And uh, I don't know how long this thing's going to go because um, thank you, WWE, for The Fiend. You gave us something to talk about. You sent the fans home happy. But what a vanilla uh, few hours of pro wrestling there. I'm not moved. Your thoughts? Hey, now. Well, there's a uh, I'm a Silver King guy sign that I'd like to talk about. But other than that, I kind of agree with you. That, I, may, um, that may have been the highlight of the night. Let's be honest. It, right it was. That was a pretty cool. Thank you for doing that. Um, listener, dear listener. Uh, yeah, I think you nailed it. Vanilla is the right word. It was, as I like to say occasionally, meh. There were moments that were good. There were moments that were, you know, fine. There was nothing insulting on the show. There was nothing exceptionally bad about it. But at the same time, there was really nothing great. And I think even the highlight for both of us, the Sasha Banks-Becky Lynch match, and maybe we don't have to get into that yet, but I think even that was a match without a finish. So WWE succeeded somehow in giving us an 11-match card where the first two-thirds of it were extremely rushed and really ultimately... Not much happened. You know what it felt like? This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. It felt like a WCW pay-per-view. I can't lie to you. Uh, Quality of wrestling, like, consistent but not great across the board. And then there's some big reveals to kind of put the Band-Aid on it. And when I say WCW pay-per-view, I mean more of the second half of the Monday Night Wars when they were still bringing in numbers, but the quality's falling apart, and you sort of know what you were going to get from them there, which is some kind of cliffhanger reveal that would get you to Nitro, but an uneven show across the board. And Adam, with the title of Clash of Champions, we get 10 title bouts in 11 matches, but, like, let's have this chat. Hey, WWE, I'm not going dirty bed sheets on you. No, don't have to worry about it. We're not in Brooklyn here. We're in Manhattan. But if you've got 10 title bouts, you've got too many titles, all right? And certainly uh, they don't matter. And, you know, I've said it before, but just slapping a title on a feud, a lot of times giving you an excuse not to book that feud with any sort of, sort of spice or flavor because, oh, it's a, it's, it's a title feud. It is what it is. Well, then you get a somewhat uneven, uninspiring show. And it sort of exposes that fact across the board that eh, there's a lot of watered down stuff going on right now. And in, and you could easily sit here and say, what'd you guys expect? And honestly, 
People heard our preview last week coming in. I didn't expect much. I was not excited. I could sort of talk myself in, though, given the climate of where we're at and the big business to come, that they were going to move us by setting the foundation for something big. Now, look, we did get Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, showing up and essentially announcing him versus Rollins is real this fall, and I'm not going to hate on that. That's the big moment of the show. But across the board, just felt like it was a little much ado about nothing at a time, I don't know, at a time when you need to step on the throat of your competition and make it so half your audience doesn't even know there's a competition. Well, they simultaneously told us that this is the one, even though we know it's not true, this is the one time every year where all 10 main roster titles are on the line. And then they give us a presentation. I got to give them legitimate kudos for the presentation. They kind of took it from NXT where before the title matches, they dimmed the lights of the crowd. They put the spotlight on the competitors. They announced the title. They announced both of them just like you're supposed to. So they treated Clash of Champions like a Clash of Champions. But there's no scenario where in not that UFC has 10 titles. Actually, maybe they do, actually. But there's no scenario where you could have that many title matches on a show and have two change hands when all of the competitors are actually legitimate. Like there's no way that a Braun Strowman, uh, a Randy Orton, uh, a Sasha Banks, and a Be- and a uh, uh, Charlotte Flair, out of those four, one of them doesn't win. Like, WWE seems so scared to take these titles off the faces. Like, people are going to revolt or something like that. Guess what? The Kofi Kingston era, it's kind of over with. You saw the crowd reaction to him. I love him. No one's been a bigger supporter than me. But he carrying the title this long... It's not, it wasn't in their plans for a reason. Like, you have to kind of move on after some point. And I don't know what their plans are going forward. And we say this all the time they can make us look stupid in the future when we criticize them in the present. But the truth is, you can't have 10 title matches, have two title changes, both of them be tag team titles that honestly, WWE hasn't really given us a reason to care about. And both were kind of expected and have nothing else really happen from a from a title perspective on the show. It just doesn't work. Yeah, there's been other sort of in-between pay-per-views like this where at least the match quality across the board is fairly high. Even if the story's not there, you still come out of there going, you know what, damn, that was a B-plus, A-minus match at the very least. We just didn't have those consistent moments. Before we get into all the individual match breakdown, I wanted to get an overall night grade and a real-time tweet here from K period at Slick Propaganda, a, a, uh, a frequent speaker yes. on the social webs of our show. He says, hey, State of Combat, from the inside the arena, the event felt like a solid B. Fun night, crowd engaged about 95% of the show. I will say this, slick propaganda. A crowd did not look engaged through TV for most of the show because of some of this booking and some of these, I guess, the placement and choice of matches. But from a whole, Adam, because I give them the criticism. I often have said from day one of this podcast, you can save a meh, as Silver King would say, pay-per-view with just one big swerve, reveal, moment, cliffhanger, give us something. And they gave us something. They gave us something in two matches in a row, which pretty much saved two matches I didn't enjoy. So all in all, is there something between C-plus and B-minus? Because it no. certainly ain't a B-minus. I guess it's, it's got to be a C-plus show where I'm, I'm, I'm grading on a curve because I wanted The Fiend... I got him. He didn't blow me away, but it was it was pretty damn good. So I'm going to give him the C plus. 
Well, I mean, if you're going by your match grades, which is not what a show is completely made of, obviously, I think you'd actually be closer to a B minus than a C plus. But for me, the only thing I could think of the entire show was like, oh, that's okay. And something that's okay to me is a C, a flat C. Um, There were enough moments that were good. You know what? Maybe I'll go a little bit C between a C and a C plus. There were enough moments that were good and got me kind of like to get my head out of the computer and say, oh, that's kind of cool that that's happening. But most of the time, it was a shrug. It was, oh, okay, that title didn't change hands. And, oh, there's a 24-7 title running into the women's tag team championship match that never gets any time anyway on a pay-per-view. So you're just going to go ahead and throw that one away anyway. And then they start the show with AJ Styles and Cedric Alexander, one of the few matches I was really looking to see. And they shove it on the kickoff show and give it like five minutes. So I don't know. I think we should go through the card. But, Brian, uh, more than not, I was disappointed. Yeah, this was a Greek diner pay-per-view, which means um, I love me some Greek diners, by the way. You want to know why? Because the menu is like 100 pages long, Adam. You can get everything you want, anything you want on there. It could be 4 a.m. You could be in Nowheresville, but there'll be a Greek diner open, and you can get anything you want. The problem with that is... You're getting anything you want from a Greek diner. So I may walk in and go, oh, they got lasagna? Let's do this thing. Oh, it's yeah, it's my favorite meal, but it, uh, yeah. All right, nice try. Nice try on that lasagna. Uh, there wasn't enough gourmet going on, but uh, we're going to break it down all match by match, and we're going to do that right after hearing a word from our friends and sponsors. Dig it. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And we're back, BC, the SK, it's Clash of Champions breakdown. Two big guests to come in this podcast, Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Don't miss it, but uh, straightforward. Here we go, Adam. Seth Rollins defended his Universal Championship in the main event against Braun Strowman. Wow. Uh, We saw The Fiend, we saw Bray Wyatt at the end, but let's hold that for now. Predictably, the lock of this card was that Strowman and Rollins we're not going to enter that main event with their tag titles. It was handled well. It was handled predictable. It was fine. I got a lot of problems with this match, though, and I was glad that the crowd actually booed during big stretches of it. The lack of protection and finishers and the commitment to Seth Rollins' Superman booking. When, look, Seth Rollins was always the anti-Roman. Roman's wearing the John Cena robe. He got past it. He's the next Superman booker. We deal with that. Seth Rollins is the Rolling Stones 
in comparison to the Beatles. He's the wild child. He's more of us. He's not clean cut. He's getting clean cut booking. Two clean wins over Lesnar. And he pretty much kicked Braun Strowman's ass. So here's my problem, Adam. This match wasn't good. And to see Seth Rollins kick out of 385-pound Braun Strowman hitting a freaking frog splash is the moment when I unplug. I'm not even going to complain about four stomps and a pedigree is what it took to finish Braun because I guess at least they're protecting Braun in that point. I know Braun also had a left knee injury that was part of the storyline. But the moment Seth is kicking out of that splash, like, you might as well get Osprey and Ricochet out here and do the flippy flips with the uh, Mexican guys in AEW because that's the type of match it suddenly is. No, you're right. And it's the same as Strowman kicking out of the first stomp before a one count. Didn't even get the one count. Kicked out before. It's the fact that he needed to hit four of them. And I didn't mind a stomp and a pedigree to finish Braun Strowman because it's Braun Strowman. Like, if you're actually going to put him over clean, it needs to be something legitimate there, right? It could have been a a stomp, a frog splash, and a pedigree for all I care. But the fact that he kicked out so many times to so many finishers, and you're right, with the frog splash as well, they're booking Seth Rollins, like you said, as Superman when he's supposed to be the underdog the entire time. And it was the exact thing that I said on our show when we were previewing this, and previously when they booked this match, I said... I don't see how they can have this be a clean finish because you just had this guy beating Brock Lesnar and then you give him Strowman. And if he beats Lesnar and Strowman, who the hell is he going to lose to? Now, if it ends up being the fiend and they're like, look, this guy, he beat, you know, Strowman and he beat Lesnar, but he can't beat the fiend. That's how big and and bad and great the fiend is. Okay. That's good. That does prop up the fiend, but it also leaves Seth Rollins nowhere except for maybe beating The Fiend again to win the title back. And if that happens, there's no one left. So I don't know, you know, are they using this to move him to SmackDown in the draft? Because Hell in a Cell is the day after the first SmackDown on Fox episode and one week before the draft is going to happen. Possibly, maybe they really want to load up that show. But this match deserved the booze it got. WWE's biggest problem is they get the faces to this point where everyone's cheering for them. They've gotten everyone to buy in. And then they just go way too far. They did it with Reigns, although Reigns had other issues that he had to deal with. But they did it with Rollins now twice. This was so unbelievable that they took a guy who, as of the last month, had been getting organic, big-time, number-one guy cheers, and they just wasted all of it for no good reason in a match that honestly shouldn't have happened. Yeah, uh, you nailed it, too. And... I hate to see Strowman. I mean, he's just—he's still sliding downhill. He's still sliding downhill from where they propped him up from that first ambulance Reigns feud where you're like, this guy's a title contender, to doing nothing with him for nine months and giving him Nicholas and doing all these things that paused him. Then to just straight up when the moment they should have taken a chance and put the title on him when Reigns got sick and they didn't. I don't know what he is now, where he's going, but this was sort of that chance to, I mean, you want to protect him? Don't let him lose clean in this spot, all right? Let Get a little more creative with the Bray spot. But look, I'm not going to super complain because it's almost as if the way that match ended was the perfect setup for Bray Wyatt to come in because if they would have went off the air with Rollins at that point, I mean, we would have just been trashed in this pay-per-view. And Bray is what we wanted, and we got him. There were, I mean, it was a little, 
little unoriginal, little want-want in the way that it happened, but Bray was fantastic. The mixing with the laughing and the screaming while he's mandible clawing Rollins, the, the playing with the lights, the, the zoom-ins on the mask, that's what I wanted. So I'm going to let that essentially cancel out the Rollins and Strowman issue almost completely because as we head into Fox season, Good God, yes, I want Bray Wyatt in a title feud. I want him to matter. We can have a side debate over whether he's going to eventually lose that and will that be his early mountaintop and he's going to go back to being fake Undertaker as well. But, you know, you can argue is it true earlier or not. No, The Fiend is ready to be huge and they're setting this up. Give me a Seth Rollins feud. Yes, you have fixed any issues I have with Strowman or Rollins by giving me what I wanted. Well, I'm not going to go that far, but I will say that the fact that they put The Fiend in such a good spot at the end, they gave us the NXT TakeOver Chicago, the old WWE move of showing the copyright, showing the logo, making you think the pay-per-view is going off the air, and in this case, being disappointed, and then coming back and giving us an awesome reveal with The Fiend. I thought it was cool. I had no issue with the way it was presented. I thought him holding Seth Rollins up by the hair, almost like he was a shrunken head at the end, like someone would do if you're going to slit their throat or something like that, right? That that was the connotation of that. Um, that was a scary, dark photo shot, and it really sold the Fiend character in the upcoming Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. But listen, the way they've... I don't like to use the word buried because it's really not true, but they've made Braun Strowman almost completely irrelevant because this is yet another opportunity where they could have put him over and didn't, and I didn't think they should have. The truth is, I don't think he should have been in this match and if you want to use the fiend, they could have have they could have had those lights go out when he was on the top rope, have him fall, Rollins hit the stomp and win the match. It gives Braun a reason to lose, gets him out. But Rollins is like, well, d- damn, okay, I won. Goes back up the ramp, and then it all happens again. And, he, and the same thing happens at the end of the show. So they had Rollins beat Strowman clean for really no good reason. It's another situation where. Braun ends a feud and is not better off for it. Even when he wins feuds like Lashley or Reigns, he's not necessarily better off afterward. And it's just another failed opportunity with this guy who clearly Vince likes. He's his perfect type of dude. But it seems that once again, this guy is in the big show role. At some point, he will be champion. He will be champion when they need a transitional guy. Vince he is not the guy that they believe in. Vince likes him too much that he's creating Vince roles for him. And that's, again, the core difference in booking between a Triple H and a, and a Vince. Triple H builds people up to become title contenders. And they don't always go over in the end because it's not part of the plans. But they're built up in a way where that pursuit of the title is what matters most. And they're going to have a soft landing afterwards. Strowman comes up in the 50-50 booking way and then sort of lingers and, oh, he's a funny monster character, so we'll use him to break things on and on. But this conversation here is The Fiend. Um, So much to the point that I don't even want to nitpick things I may not have liked about it because he came across so strong. They've got to stay down this road of serial, of potential serial killer, The Fiend. You know, nothing, horror movie guy, all the way as dark as possible. I want to hit you up with a guy's opinion I respect to see whether you respect what he has to say. Kentucky Long Rifle, what is that, an email? This is real-time DMing here. I mean, the, the thing just popped up. You know Black Saber Jr. at underscore Black Saber Jr.? Love this guy. But in fact, you know what? Maybe you can start carving a spot for his face, all right? Got to remove to replace. Well, is that a is that a subtle dig there at uh, Bob 
Backlund at talk box right there? Look, Black Sabre Jr. should have been in the first round rush more. That's all I'm going to say. Wow, the feud continues here. He says, I have an unpopular opinion. I don't like where the Fiend character is going. If he's a guy who's been broken down by the WWE system so much, it gave him a split personality? Okay, I'm all the way in. If he's an Undertaker, a Jace monster, who shows up and has spooky powers, a la the worms on the mat moment at Mania a few years back, hard pass. My big gripe is that it's fun because it's unique and fresh, but by the same token, it also feels like something that doesn't make sense in WWE's current reality-based storytelling universe. And... DM. So Black Saber is hitting on something interesting. He's playing into the idea that maybe it's too soon. People hit me up on Twitter saying it's too. I don't think it's too soon because it's time to go all in on 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 what the fiend can be. It's time to do that in time for Fox. But his question is almost this, Adam. If you read between the lines, is is Bray Wyatt the fiend so unique and so different and so the opposite of anything else going on at WWE that when you insert him back inside of WWE, if you don't give him attention to detail, next level booking in this Rollins feud, then it will water him down quick. I don't think he's there yet, but it really is something that makes me nervous. I think it's a, as you would say, a sober question and a sober point by him, but this is not completely out of place. I mean, WWE a couple of years ago had the Bludgeon Brothers. Okay, they had they did the Broken Universe for better or worse. They allowed it to happen on Raw, it main evented a Raw. So there are these opportunities in WWE for this to happen. What's strange here is this is a title program for a major pay per view one day after WWE debuts on Fox. So this isn't just like hey, we're going to do this and let this happen and have a, have it House of Horrors or whatever the case. This is, we see this guy absolutely hitting a home run and we're going all in as soon as possible to maximize it, whether it's a cash grab for merchandise, whether it's because they know people actually want to tune in and see The Fiend and see Bray Wyatt and they want the ratings. It doesn't really matter. You can, it's legitimate to say they're rushing it into a title feud. I believe that. I think they are rushing it a bit into a world title feud. He has had one match since coming back. Granted, it was against former Universal Intercontinental Champion Finn Balor, who has not been seen since. But what if they have the Fiend, Bray Wyatt, take the Universal title off Seth Rollins? And what if they build Finn Balor's comeback to ultimately take the Universal title off of Bray Wyatt? That is long-term storytelling with attention to detail, using the Fiend and a demon that actually work well together in terms of the ridiculousness of him or, or being outside the reality of the WWE universe. Again, let's not forget the demons existed too. Um, and I think you have a major program that, I mean, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, like this is actually possible. So I don't see any good reason to be pessimistic as much as I like to be pessimistic about The Fiend yet because to this point, it's been double, triple, home run, grand slam in any you know type of mix that you want to you want to give us and i have not yet seen anything regarding this character that makes me feel depressed or pessimistic about it i'd almost like if see here's the thing the house of horrors whole thing i felt like it was their reaction to how good the broken matt hardy was with tna and shooting outside of a ring and doing that and the problem with that was it was written so poorly and it came across so friggin' cheesy but yet the aesthetics of it were great like it was scary and slimy and kind of like something cool and unique. I almost wish they can take that setup 
and kind of merge that with what's going on with the fiend. But you're going to have to really tightrope walk that effectively to do that, to keep what he's doing, even though he will have matches, but to keep most of what he's doing separate from the traditional ring setting in the WWE universe. Um, they're gonna, it's going to be interesting, and it's right in time for Halloween as well. I mean, you have to imagine. It's going to be a ton of these fiend masks going, going all over the place now. Look, as long as they don't have a Firefly Funhouse match, I think I probably think yes, we're okay. That like, will be, they're that they're be clearly match. building this for Hell in a Cell. My expectation would be Bray Wyatt the Fiend against Seth Rollins inside Hell in a Cell. Like, and if you're like going to give squash. us that match, give me the Fiend's going to go over and be the new Universal Champion. That's the thing. Give me as strong of a squad. Like, I don't want to see Bray Wyatt have to wrestle a long match until, like, WrestleMania. I would love to right. see him go on a run of destroying people, of, like, mandible clawing Seth until blood capsules in his mouth are pulling out internal bleeding. Like, I want to see some gruesome-ish. Hopefully, they have the balls to do that. Um, so one of the things I said coming in, we always give optimistic uh, booking ahead of a pay-per-view. Now, look, normally it involves maybe, hey, is that the fiend in, in Becky's locker room? Whoa, we got what do we got going on here? We got a creepy <laughs> three-way? No, no. No, I did say, look, I wanted some form of Wyatt Family 2.0. I don't know if we got it. We got like, like we teased the rim a little bit. We tickled around the corners here, but uh, <laughs> the bludgeons are back and don't call them bludgeons, but Harper and Rowan are back as Luke Harper makes a run in on this co-main event that saved an awful Eric Rowan, Roman Reigns match. And, and again, the theme to the show, not necessarily awful because it was rancid just because it was so damn average and expected and predictable. It was a, Brian, it was a 17-minute Eric Rowe and no disqualification yes. match. so it was pretty awful. Um, I don't know, as things stand now, Adam, whether Harper and Rowan have any kind of connection to The Fiend and that this idea of a Wyatt Family 2.0 is A, happening, or, or B, Daniel Bryan. should happen. Yeah, and there's the question of what about Daniel Bryan? If they just roll on, with Harper and Rowan as their own separate thing, and we figure out Daniel Bryan next, and we keep The Fiend as this psycho killer crazy guy, you good with that? Or do you need or want some kind of crossover here? Look, I don't want to be simplistic about it, man, but this whole thing sucks. Like, this, the, they, they totally bungled the storytelling of what was clearly a Roman Reigns-Daniel Bryan feud. They ruined it. They rushed it to get it onto SummerSlam, realized they didn't tell the story long enough, didn't give it to us on the card, then had Rowan be the attacker and turned him heel on Daniel Bryan. Now, there is a chance that this is a whole, you know, red herring type of situation where Eric Rowan was actually doing Daniel Bryan's bidding and still gave him the Iron Claw slam as a diversion to make Reigns think he wasn't involved. And now Daniel Bryan has started a, a group with Rowan and Harper. But that doesn't excite me. No. Uh, Rowan and Harper as a tag team doesn't excite me. I, I, I like them, and them as a tag team is good and needed in WWE, but that's not a reveal that, ex that excites me. It doesn't give any motivation for Rowan attacking Reigns. We still don't have that. Um, and what it's done is take Daniel Bryan, who honestly, going into WrestleMania, was maybe like the best thing going on the mic and in the ring in WWE, just entire product. We loved what Lynch was doing. But Daniel Bryan was also at a 10. They were both doing great. And they've taken Daniel Bryan, and he's just, like, gone the last two weeks. Now, maybe that changes Tuesday. If they have plans for it, that's fine. But they have completely bungled this. They gave this match 1725. Yeah. They put it in the co-main event of the show over the Raw Women's Championship, which was by far the best top-to-bottom segment on the entire show. Again, you know I thought it should have main evented with The Fiend. I understand why it didn't. 
I don't care about this match. It wasn't good. Uh, Michael Cole made everything sound like it was the hardest thing in the entire world, the, the steps and, and this thing. Oh, my uh, God, I Roman Reigns hit him with something. I don't end. even know what it was. I'm get, just get so happy we didn't get the Superman comeback from Reigns, which they set it up a bunch sure. of times. Uh, they repeated the stuff on the stage. Look, I popped for Luke Harper almost in like a anything but Roman, anything but what you were giving me. So I'm not here, though, for a Rowan and Harper reboot of any kind. I, people already tweeting at me. And look, I actually like the Budge and Blood, Brothers Brothers, but they they hit their ceiling quick. They 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 destroyed people to get the title and then they were boring quick. They're going to be Brian. boring again unless they are joined with Wyatt and unless they are henchmen to matter. So that's my hope. I hope we do get Wyatt Family 2.0 because I'm not going to care about Rowan and Harper any other way unless they double up as Daniel Bryan's muscle and we have a faction there. I don't know. I don't even care. We got to roll on because it, it's. People, I want to say one thing. People, two things, actually. One, people forget this, Brian. People, WWE fans, wanted Luke Harper to be WWE champion. The Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton feud, when it included Luke Harper, they wanted him in the WrestleMania match and they wanted him to win the title. That's how over he was because he's great in the ring. He's a good character and people really believed in him. He ha is now a shell of that. The fact that he's back with Rowan means they are completely creatively bankrupt. Even if it is with Daniel Bryan or with Bray Wyatt or just them as a tag team, whatever it is, it's not creative enough to justify like this being a reveal. Luke Harper, it's like, oh, yeah. okay, Luke Harper's back. Cool. Like, who really cares? Number two, um, let us not forget that one of the things I've been begging WWE to do, I wanted it when he came back from the leukemia and he faced, uh, you know, Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania. I wanted Roman Reigns to go on like a six month losing streak and they didn't give that to me. But to be fair, I can't completely criticize them because now he's lost to Shane McMahon and he's lost to Eric Rowan and maybe he now loses to Daniel Bryan. So it does seem like they're going wow. in the direction of Roman Reigns losing and losing and losing potentially to get the fan support behind him to build them up to win at WrestleMania. And if they do that, which is the booking I've wanted for the last six months, I can't completely fault them for the Roman Reigns side of it. No, Silver Linings Playbook showing up right there. I like the optimism. And, uh, you know, yeah, because I wanted Rowan to win this, and I predicted him with the hope that we would get some kind of change there. So, But you you said something in the middle of that of uh, the creative doesn't deserve. I don't think the creative on this whole show deserves us spending this long on each match. So let's roll on from You're here. Right. Look, Kofi Kingston, Randy Orton it was a bad placement right after – the intensity of Sasha and Becky, which was really your second biggest and most important moment of the show. Kofi and Randy, uh, I think it was set up to fail no matter what, Adam. Yep. But then giving it 20 minutes and then just having really unbelievable booking. This was a microcosm of what we saw across the last three matches, to be honest. Just the kind of shit booking that sort yeah. of in why. Because, look, you did a long, deliberate beatdown from Randy Orton for most of this match. If you want to tell me that's the way you slow the crowd down and then rev them back up after the hot Sasha Becky, I could say I understand that. And Randy's old school in that regard. But to have Randy dominate this match and hit the RKO, and I know it's a creative finish with Kofi's foot on the ropes. Happens but, all the time. But then Kofi hit one move and he wins the match. You saw the want, want in the crowd. These are people in the crowd that love Kofi, want to cheer for Kofi, and we're reluctantly like, oh, crap, Roman booking? Like, what are we doing here? Uh, 
our colleague Jack O'Crosby, Outback Jack, hit me up on the DMs and said the same thing that was in my mind of, yep, they're going to sacrifice him on opening night of SmackDown on Fox, where he's probably going to lose the title to, I don't know, Lesnar, Reigns, who? I don't know, but... Uh... Well, for, okay, first of all, give Jack all the credit he's due. I've been saying that for months, and you know this, man. I've been saying that for a yeah, long we're time not, we're not here until, I realized, over, over until I realized credit. it's the go-home show for Hell in a Cell. Right, but you need uh, you need you need to burst that balloon. You need to make people feel like anything's going to happen at any time, and they're going to watch. Because look, it's more important, Adam, for the people watching that first SmackDown episode to stay with SmackDown than it is for them to buy a nine ninety nine. Yeah, but if, my point is, if they have a match booked for the pay per view, it's it's two nights later. It's it's not a Tuesday night. It's it's a Friday night SmackDown. Two days later is Hell in a Cell. You'll be on vacation, but I'll be watching it, and it matters to me. Um, so you, you can't necessarily do that booking, but 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 he was saying what you're agreeing with and what I've been saying for a long time. They've just overbooked Kofi. They don't know how to book baby faces in WWE. They book them too strong. They never let them lose feuds, even whether it's a title on the line or not. And it's now been ridiculous. The fact that this match went 20 minutes yeah, and 50 seconds, it was the longest match on the show, and it went third to last in that spot. And it was slow, 20 minutes. And Kofi, sh- every match with Kofi should be quick and exciting. Not quick like it has to be five minutes, but 13, 14, 15 minutes, exciting stuff. He only hits one move, as you said. It's just another wasted feud with Kofi. And it has the fans tired of him as champion. And there's been a lot of wasted feuds with Randy, too. And I know there's a side debate that's long of of whether it's his fault. And is he the most overrated legend of all time? A guy who's Fans come love up him. short in big moments consistently, yet we just always get excited when he's coming back. Um, it's a whole other side argument, but this didn't have it. Let's bring in Jim Cornette. This match was a slap in the face to every wrestler that takes pride in his profession. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's All talk right. Sasha and Becky. Uh, yeah, best match of the night, man, in my it, opinion. It was, and it's odd because it ends in a DQ, and then it triggers a, a really entertaining, physical, stiff-ass brawl. That goes around the arena. I mean, there's mustard thrown on Sasha. There's stiff punches. There's big spots. And it really all started when the match started with Sasha talking trash in Becky's face. And she slapped the ish out of her. So we didn't get our 25-minute women's classic to remind us how good women's wrestling can be. We didn't get callbacks to four horsewomen and that kind of stuff. But here's what we did get, an introduction that, one, this is going to be physical intense the whole way through. And that, too, it's going to last a while because this was Chapter 1. And Becky lost the match, but she won the, the war in Chapter 1. She stood tall in the end. I loved everything about the feel of this match and then certainly about the direction the storyline went and all that in the second half. I don't want to get gross for people. But the moment we saw Sasha, we thought Buddy Murphy. <laughs> I mean, we really did. And tonight we thought that again. And these two incredible characters and female athletes. Um, hey, where's Brandy? I'm all in, Brandy, on exactly what you're asking me about. I, I can hear Jimmy Brandy. I know what you're really asking me about, Becky and Sasha, right now. I'm all in. Yeah, this is exactly what it needed to be. I think that's the best way to describe it. It gave us a really great taste of what these two can do in the ring together, the submissions going back and forth, the pinfall attempts, the the high flying moves, the meteoras from Sasha um, reminded you how great she is in the ring and how much we were missing her in the women's division. And then they go ahead and go outside the ring and give us great action. 
like great falls count anywhere match action. If that had been that type of match, it would have been great. Um, and that wasn't really what was advertised, of course. So for me, it just worked from start to finish. Um, it did its job in getting us wanting more, wanting us to see them inside a contained structure. Hell in a Cell, I have no doubt that's where they're going with this, obviously, as that is the next pay-per-view. It's also a good opportunity for a title change. But at the same time, this is another situation where we're promised something at a pay-per-view, a really good match that we badly want to see. They put it early in the card, and they don't give us a finish. Kofi Randy, SummerSlam. They didn't give us a finish, and they followed it up with a 20-minute bore fest this week, the, at this pay-per-view. So the hope here really is that WWE delivers on the rematch, gets us there storytelling-wise. In this particular case, I have no doubt that they will be, say. Um, anything you disagree with there? No, I agree with that fully. I, I want to just put this out there. Um, so that WrestleMania main event was so historical with the women. And it was so deserving. And it was all that. But as we talked about, the match, it didn't hit the notes it could have. It came on at 3 in the morning, basically. It was, it just, it didn't hit it, right? We didn't even get, even with Becky winning the two belts, it, it felt kind of just forced and systematic and just like, okay. Um, I don't want to forget the chemistry, the wrestling ability of what these four women, the four horsewomen of NXT have. So, Adam, this match, Becky and Sasha kicks off what could be an intense and amazing feud coming our way. But it better culminate with a real wrestling match wrestled in NXT women's style, which means wrestled in, we're going to go out there and put on a classic, which you don't always get. Unfortunately, in modern day main roster WWE, they're just booked in a WWE style. You don't always get just go out there and just put on a classic. We know they can do that. They better get that chance to do it. And simultaneously here, Adam, hold on, let me cough for a second. Oh, all right, hit the cough button. Uh, I don't want to ever hear me or you or anyone else say again, when are they going to do the four horsewomen versus four horsewomen thing? Not a slant against Rousey, not a slant against Baszler, who I, who I love as well. But you know what? Inevitably, that's going to be lame. The four horsewomen of Rousey are just not on the level overall as workers. And the four horsewomen of NXT are so damn talented and great and deserve so much credit and respect for this women's movement and where we are now that I don't need to ever see the Rousey incarnation. But you know what I need to see? I need to see a fatal four-way match at a WrestleMania with these four women and I need them to get the chance to to like put on the greatest women's match that ever happened. I know three of four of them in big spots have had big moments at WrestleMania, whatever. I need the four of them. We saw that in NXT, and that was the women's match that woke me up. That was the women's match that, that uh, do we have Maria here? What do you want to say? If you don't let me in right now, I'm going to knock down this door and kick you in your vagina. That match kicked me in my vagina, okay? Like, straight up, all right? No, and, that is the match we need, yeah. And, and it needs to, so, like, co-main event the show. It doesn't have to main event. So, but hey, it needs WWE, to be, uh, let's go back to booking these women and giving them a chance to do what they already did in NXT. Adam, yes, the Sasha-Charlotte 2016 feud was really good. Great, sorry, great. Yes, Charlotte and Becky have had really good women's matches in the last year. But will you agree that these women are not... Forget the storylines, forget the handling, forget all that. Just on pay-per-view time, go out there and win us over. With the exception of how Rousey's unique style 
looked against each of them. These four horsewomen don't seem to be allowed to go out there and do what they did in NXT. No, they haven't been. I mean, I think there was a period of time where Charlotte and Sasha Banks were maybe 75% of the way, but they've never been able to give that 100% same quality match. And that's not to say they haven't had good matches. Becky uh, and Charlotte have had really good matches. Charlotte had a great match with Rousey. Um, but you're right. The ultimate match that we want is them in a fatal four-way for one of the women's championships at a WrestleMania. And we want it to be that blow us out of the water NXT style match that we just haven't gotten that we never got from the shield triple threat at a WrestleMania at a major event like that. Um, and w- that is more important. The four horsewomen imploding, if you want to call it, that is more important than the actual four horsewomen versus four horsewomen. Although I don't want to put that completely to bed for me. It's just, let's wait until those women get better. And we'll talk about it in two years. Yeah. I don't need to talk about it now. Right now, you have a, a year, maybe two, to get us that fatal four-way match. So you go know, for I it. I just feel bad because we did the two belts. And really, the fatal four-way match that I want to see at WrestleMania is the kind of match that's so big you should have two belts on the line. And I felt like we rushed the two-belt scenario just to make history in this women's match at WrestleMania. And I just felt like that WrestleMania match was kind of like this card. It's like WWE. The pieces are in front of you. Get out of your own way and let the magic happen. Let All that match needed, don't forget, all that match needed was Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey. They shoved Charlotte Flair in that because it needed to be historic, and they needed Flair in the historic match. So that was kind of doomed from the start. I'm fine with setting up that triple threat. It's just let them, I don't know. Maybe I'm asking too much. Maybe I think (laughs) it's too easy, Adam, to just roll out the balls and say, you're great workers, give us a classic. But guess what? I see it in the indies all the time. I see it in NXT all the time. I see it in big-time NJPW all the time. Why can't I see that in big-time WWE main roster all the time? I'm with you. And by the way, if anyone hears some strange background noise, my dog Moose at 11.35 in the p.m. decided to eat his entire meal for the day and drink an entire thing of water all right as we're taping this podcast. Doesn't move all day, stays on the couch all day, decides to chow down uh, and, and drink all his water right during the show. Anyway, BC, uh, moving on to the other women's match, though, we had Bailey against Charlotte Flair, three minutes, 45 seconds. Am I wrong? It was a nice, quick, fun piece of business yes. that actually got me excited in the Bailey character, which is something that they haven't been able to do. And even with the heel turn, I was like, oh, she turned heel. This actually got me curious about what Bailey's all about. I never loved Bailey more, really. <laughs> Removing the, the bottom turnbuckle, using it, and then stash and grab, getting that belt and getting out of there. I mean, look, for, for a night in which uh, Sasha attributed Eddie Guerrero, I felt like Eddie Guerrero vibes as she's running away knowing she had just, you know, robbed the bank. I mean, loved it. That was a – that's how you do it. That was a wrinkle that was a little bit extra that they put on that. Uh, we didn't even need Bailey in the end in this Sasha and Becky match because that one spoke for itself. Well, this short little piece of business, like you said, spoke for itself enough and notice, Charlotte in Charlotte doesn't win, and Cedric Alexander in Charlotte in his hometown, which we forgot to mention on the way in to previewing this card, also doesn't win, keeping so that typical. streak alive of burying you in front of your uh, home and folks I, there. I could be wrong, but I think Helena Hel- 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 Cell may be in San Jose, which is where Bailey's from. So wouldn't it be interesting for Charlotte to win the title in San Jose in Bailey's hometown? It's typical WWE booking. Uh, the other women's match on the card had Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defending their women's tag team championships against Fire and Desire Cross going over Rose um, with that twisted uh, fisherman's neckbreaker from the top rope. 
Um, I mean, got her back for the storyline reason. So I thought that was a nice touch that they actually allowed that to happen. But interference from the 24-7 championship kind of made you think, oh, this match that WWE tells us they kind of don't care much about. Oh, they really don't care much about it because they're just going to interrupt it with a bunch of low-card guys. Nine minutes, five seconds to this do anything. This was a raw match. This was a SmackDown match. Um, by the way, Hell in a Cell in San, in not in San Jose, but in Sacramento. So close enough. Oh, okay, um, close enough. Um, I also don't care about Shinsuke beating the Miz. So we can loop these together. Can can I can can you finally agree with me that it's terrible? The Sami Zayn Shinsuke thing is terrible. They let Sami Zayn uh rub the sore really hard tonight. Uh, they have nothing. They were just like go out there and be annoying. Uh, yeah, this was a raw match. This was a hundred. Like I don't. Need, we're done. We're moving on. Um, it was it was terrible that they put that match on the main show and had AJ Styles and Cedric Alexander, since you already mentioned it, Brian, on the kickoff show in for athletically a, a good five minutes. But Styles beat the crap out of him and made him look like absolutely nothing. I thought they were building up Alexander to be a mid Carter. They made him look like total shit. Well, this is weird because they got so much accomplished in four minutes and 55 seconds. They did. Cedric jumped him and you look like it was going to be all hometown hero. Couple near falls, big tope. And then Styles turned the tables and beat the ish out of him. Hits all of his finishers, including that uh, Styles clash on the floor. Refuses to pin him. So you're really doubling down. I actually really love what this match did. I could never imagine that they would give us five minutes, put it on a pre-show, and I would love it. Yet, Adam, they doubled down that AJ's not only going to keep that title, he's going to be a dirtbag heel. And then when he brings, when he calls in the OC and they come in and finish off Cedric Alexander... I like what that's telling us. It's telling us that that faction and AJ here is going to be a power player moving forward. I didn't imagine him moving forward as the U.S. champion. This is probably the end for Cedric, but it gave us a good piece of business. I would have loved 18, 19 minutes, of course. I can't justify why the hell this was on the kickoff show, but I didn't hate it. And I it was just so the strange that they forced this many matches on the show. And I'm looking at the rundown. It's like five minutes, 345, 940, 905. It, they gave nothing an opportunity to breathe except the Kingston Orton match that was slow and like almost to eat up time for no good reason. The Rowan Roman match, which was slow again for no good reason. And then the Sasha Banks Lynch match, which actually deserved the 20 minutes it got. But WWE just seems scared to give any other match besides a main event match, any opportunity to get over. You could have given Styles and Alexander like 12 minutes and it would have been absolutely insane. But they give you 455, and it's forgettable. Like, you're never going to remember that match ever happened. You know Adam, what I mean? I know that um, we do that. We sort of tease at this idea a lot. So, this isn't anything new, but we don't actually ever do this exercise real quick. The tease is always, hey, imagine if Trips was booking and not Vince. And it's always that argument of, like, how close is WWE main roster? Like, how, how much are they underachieving in the big picture? Even when they make us happy. Even when we're not Massively. in the bed sheets after a show. Is it still only 70% of what the main roster is capable? How much are they muting the, and neutering their own stars by being stuck in the Vince way of presenting things? So what if I gave this 11 match card to Trips before it actually aired and said, give me a takeover style card. Give me your five best matches. And he goes, okay, you know what I got here? I got Kingston and Orton. I got Sasha and Becky. Give me Seth and Braun. That's three. Give me Bailey and Charlotte. And give me one of the tag matches. And we go, okay. Revival and New Day. He'd give you Revival and New Day. And that's great. What the hell would this pay-per-view look like if Trips just were was like, go do what you do? Like, could you? 
you hate a lot of these guys who end up on the main roster, like a Lars Sullivan, and and rightfully so. A, a lot, lot of, of the guys I hate Lars Sullivan. It's really okay, just one guy. well, guess what? <laughs> Lars Sullivan in NXT could work. He's a okay. Freak. So could Killian Dane, but they're not main roster. But guys. he's Come a on. freak of nature who, in big NXT matches, worked. Imagine if Braun Strowman was allowed to work, and imagine if Seth was given like Gargano Cole ability, like uh, like here, go do what you want, go be Seth Rollins. I mean, could you imagine what this card could look like? I know we say that a lot, but do we actually think about it, Adam? What would those five matches that I just gave you, if each match was given 18 to 25 minutes, what the hell would this card look like at the end? Would it be a guaranteed A across the board and we'd be like, pay-per-view of the year? Yeah, Brian, these are many of the best wrestlers in the world. And I don't mean best, like top five, many of whom are in Japan or, or Kenny Omega and AEW. But like, if you if you look at... From an entertainment, a star standpoint, an ability standpoint, uh, a WWE entertainment standpoint, this roster is as loaded as it's ever been. And there's really no good excuse to put on a pay-per-view like this. Doesn't that drive you insane? I mean, imagine if yeah, it's, it's Styles it's a, it's a Alexander. Joke. Do you know what it's Styles a, Alexander could look like, Adam? They could... it's, a joke. it's a joke, Brian, because we give WWE a break. We're not expecting an NJPW show. We're expecting, like, 60 to 70 percent of that as an a plus wwe pay-per-view and they can't even give us that they mail it in at like 35 40 percent this card i mean there's a couple more matches to talk about but i think you guys understand where we're going here we weren't overly excited for it but we still said hey this is an important time for wwe they're going to give us something to gnaw on right they're going to give us really something to to bite into to really make us want to watch Monday and Tuesday and see what happens. And if they think a Eric Rowan with Luke Harper surprise with Roman as your main SmackDown storyline is getting me to tune into SmackDown, they have another thing coming. If they think Kofi going over Superman strong against Randy Orton with a single troubled in paradise is getting me excited in, in that men's title, they're mistaken. It's just not going to happen. All right. But in this in this conversation we're talking about, this is on my mind the entire show, Adam. It's this inevitable like – Ah, oh, man, let these guys be who they're supposed to be. Now, look, I get it. I'm a super smart, hardcore, behind-the-lines guy. Like, I, I'm the the 1%. But do you believe this is a topic of conversation in the locker room? Or is someone like Seth Rollins, at this point, drinking the main roster juice so much and realizing he's a worldwide star and he's selling merch and he's still putting on pretty damn good matches – that in his mind, they're maxing out and doing the best they can. It's just that it's a different style. Or do you think even Seth Rollins, when he runs into Cedric Alexander in the back by the water fountain, goes, ah, oh, dude, if this was PWG, man, you and AJ would have freaking peeled people's faces off. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think Rollins comes back. He's like, we did a good piece of business there. I did what I needed to do. People were entertained. You know, the fiend got over on me, whatever. But at the same time, He's walking back there and Styles and Alexander are joking. Hey, you know, haha, you hit me with this kick. And he's like, dude, you guys could have burned it down. You know, something corny because it's Seth. Okay, uh, how you, do we live you guys could have burned it down if this was PWG. Like, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I think I think the superstars, the wrestlers understand that they are limited. Their hands are a little bit tied in terms of freedom. But being in WWE includes a lot of benefits in a lot of other ways. And for AJ Styles, especially at like his age, to not have to go out in order to entertain and, and, and 
make his dollar worthwhile to NJPW or to maybe even an AEW or someone else, for him not to have to go 100% and for him to be able to go like 80% and still have it be like one of the best things on the pay-per-view, that's that's great for a 40-year-old guy. It's when WWE has some of these people in the primes of their their careers where it's just like, what are you doing? Like, why was Buddy Murphy kicking ass three weeks on TV and then disappeared for four weeks? He was on you main know, event why? on Tuesday, right? He was on main event. And he, oh, and was he? He lost to oh Ali. And, and what I hear from our listeners was a good match who were in the arena that night, but it was main event. And he lost Ali two times in a row now. Yes. After the ridiculous King of the Ring loss. Um, yeah, but look, all yeah, the... All so the... I think they talk about it. The answer to your question is I think they talk about it. I don't think it's a massive deal for most people because I think they're still able to do a really good job in the ring and entertain and be happy. It's They know WWE is not a, a PWG or an NXT even. Well, they seem to all say that they love house shows because of the... Le- there's much less rules. They can go out there and not only can they joke with the fans and their perform their fellow performers, but they can go around and put F around and put on like insanely good matches when they want to. So maybe that allows them to exercise that muscle and then just say, okay, look, moving merch, going to sick kids and, and, and making people happy doing this and that. But I can't, I, I, I can't be alone though. You know, the, the, the five-star match lover in me can't be alone. Like, I can't be the minority. The, the bigger like, issue, Brian, is that we know and have seen that WWE can do more and give us better and that they don't. It's not that they're not giving us what other places are giving us. I don't want NJPW from WWE. I get that from NJPW. I don't even really, for a large part, want NXT from WWE. I get that in NXT. It's niche. It's different. But what I want is for WWE to give us compelling storylines. That's not a lot to ask. Um, non-convoluted booking and characters and superstars who are allowed to go out there and give 75% and really give us a damn good match. That is not asking for NJPW right, need- five, six star matches every single night. I don't need that every Raw, SmackDown and pay-per-view. But you know what? It'd be nice if I watched a Clash of Champions and I got one of them. Well, look, this was the, to be honest with you, this, this argument, this conversation is the foundation of the dirty bedsheets of SummerSlam 2018. It's, it's the foundation of underwhelming and not being, wanting to deal with it and, and put up with it anymore when I know it could be so much better. You just said, you know, I don't want NXT from the main roster. And I respect that because they are two different styles. Then is my love for the NXT style make me, a hardcore minority because to me that's the style that wrestling should be so when you say i don't want that from the main roster i go that's all i want and you let me let me clarify no but you may say i don't want mjpw and i can understand why for every every time but i certainly could use njpw in the big pay-per-views couldn't you let me clarify i'm not expecting that from the main roster it's not that i don't want it i would love for nxt with wwe main roster talents and production to be what i'm getting but I'm not expecting it. What I'm expecting is the WWE product, but good. If they give us the WWE product, but mediocre or bad, I'm disappointed. And that's what tonight was. It was the WWE product, mediocre. Uh, it was like, why even have good, this paper? Good. You brought us back to earth there. Because I sometimes wonder in my anger, because I know what the, the steak tastes like, whether there actually are people out there who prefer main roster. See, my I, my assumption, Adam, and I'm not lying here. I'm being straight up. My assumption is that 99% of the people who will tell you I prefer Raw and SmackDown to NXT or NJPW or whatever 
just literally haven't watched NJPW or NXT more than one Brian, time. NJ- I mean? NJPW is an acquired taste. NXT, I will agree with you, but NJPW, you really have to like professional wrestling and be willing to go to the lengths to subscribe to NJPW World, get the English translation page so you can <laughs> watch so the right matches, it's the equivalent of like- fast forward through things, try to get it on your television. That That is a acquired, specialized 1% of professional wrestling fans' taste, okay? But NXT or a more indie-like product, I, I do think there's a large audience for that. And I think we're going to find that out with NXT. Not to make that transition just yet. We have a little bit more to talk about from Clash of Champions. Not but, much more. Not much more. One second. But, but no, not much more. But ultimately, I think WWE just tonight did not do a good job. When the last pay-per-view was solid, I thought Stomping Grounds was fine. SummerSlam was good. But this was just almost why are you having this show tonight if you're not going to do anything that's going to really advance storylines or or make a change. They didn't do anything that made a fundamental change to their booking tonight. And that was the biggest issue. Oh, I'm so sad right now. Yeah, let's get off of this show. Let's get into things that make us happy like NXT. Right, Don't real, tell me you real, care about Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler. We knew well, it was I happening. Know, well, Brian, what I want to know is I think we it's worth talking about the revival briefly. I thought that was a good piece of business than being big time heels uh, and giving a great promo after the match. The only problem with that, and I love the new ring gear. I love the idea that we have a, a, a faction Group. with Randy, Group. and I get why they didn't come out because the New Day didn't come out to back Kofi, right? It's a title fight. They let it be about the title. But um, my only thing is, like, because there was no build to that match, it felt like the revival of New Day just taking turns handing each other the title. And that's where it fell flat. I like the match. I like the business. I love the targeting on Wood, uh, Xavier Woods' knee. I love the extra levels they went to show that they're dirtbag heels. But again, I don't think it warrants our conversation, nor do I want to talk about Rudin Ziggler. It happened. I, I, the only thing fun. I want to say about that just is I like the finish. It was good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Drew Gulak happened to whatever. That's it. That's that's Clash of <laughs> that's Champions it. for you. That's it. You know, I, I, I refuse to believe I'm the 1%. You know what will happen, Adam? And that's the goal of the revolution, to get people to realize that this quote-unquote indie style is not indie. It's not independent. It's not minority. It's not on the outskirts. It's wrestling in 2019. Trips knows it. You know it. I know it. One day, Vince well, actually, I take that back. Vince will never He's know not going to know it. One day, WWE without Vince will know it. But speaking of that, Adam, let's talk NXT. It debuts this week, Wednesday night. And we're doing a special edition this week, Adam. We're going to publish our weekly pro wrestling state of combat podcast a day later on Thursday so that we can give them the chance to wow us. We're going to recap and review in this week's regular pro wrestling show, the debut episode of SmackDown. It's this Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. Did I correctly, Adam, hear that the first few episodes won't be two hours live on the ne- on USA? They'll be like, what, one hour on USA and one on the WWE Network? Yeah, so the first two episodes on the 18th and I guess the 25th uh, are going to be two hours live, the first hour live on USA Network, the second hour live on WWE Network. And the reason is USA Network is giving WWE for NXT, the time slot of Suits, which is one of their most popular shows, and the penultimate episode is this week, and the series finale, not season finale, series finale, is two weeks from now. So they weren't going to postpone that just for NXT, for you know, to get ahead of AEW. So they're basically giving WWE fans um, a taste for these next two weeks, and then October 2nd, 
when AEW does debut, still no name for that show on TNT. They will go two hours live head to head for the first time. Well, we have a lot of questions about what's NXT on USA going to look like, smell like, feel like, taste like, what the overall impact will be on the main roster. Is NXT now part of the main roster? Luckily, the Silver King got a chance to sit down with Paul Levesque himself. SK, you want to tee us up here? I'm fired up. Yeah, it was a really nice interview. Got about, you know, 16, 17 minutes with Triple H. Allowed me to ask anything I wanted. Thought gave some very candid, good answers. Uh, there were a couple things coming out of the interview I wish I had asked about. So let's go to it. You can go listen to my interview with Paul Levesque right now. And on the backside, we'll say, or we'll talk about, you know, what did I not ask that maybe I should have and, and had a missed opportunity here. So here we go. Three, two, and one. Thrilled to welcome Paul Levesque, WWE Executive Vice President, Talent, Live Events, Creative, better known to many as Triple H, and the man behind NXT, Paul. That is an absolute mouthful to the State of Combat podcast. Exciting times coming up here for the Yellow Brand, which will move to USA Network beginning Wednesday, September 18th, live for two hours at 8 p.m. Eastern. Paul, on this podcast, we've been talking about and hoping for NXT to move to cable TV for quite some time. How proud are you of this achievement, and how did the talent react when you broke the news to them? like you have been uh, have been looking forward to this for a long time. This is something that we've actually been working on for the last probably year and a half or so of, of trying to make this move happen and the timing of it. And, um, you know, it, sometimes these things kind of take a long time and we needed to be sure about it as well uh, with taking it, you know, and, and moving it from the network. Um, but it's an exciting time and talent are thrilled. You know, it's, I think in, in some ways, one of those things where you go, Oh my God, this is so awesome. We're going to be on cable TV live every week for two hours. And then they go, Oh my God, we're going to be on cable TV live every week <laughs> for two hours. You know, and that, that reality kind of sinks in. But, um, knowing all of them as I do, uh, they're going to knock it out of the park. They are chomping at the bit to show the world, uh, who they are. They're chomping at the bit to show the world what they can do. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people that if you've only heard of what NXT is, if you've, you've kind of heard the rumors, you've read about it or whatever it is, and this is your first opportunity to really um, experience the brand, I think we're going to, to uh, light a lot of people up. Well, you talked about certainly moving from a, a taped product, taped usually three to four weeks in advance, now going two hours live every week. We know the inherent challenges with that from a production angle, but from a creative standpoint, from uh, getting the number of talent and the roster size ready to compete on television, how long have you guys been in that process to kind of get NXT ready for this type of move? Well, we're always um, trying to prepare talent at the Performance Center for every aspect of what they could expect all the way through their careers, right? So you're, you're, Live TV differs in a way of you got to hit time cues. Commercials come, you have to hit time cues. You have to hit uh, time cues going off the air. If you if you don't, uh, you just go off the air. You can't go early. You can't go late. Um, but these are all things we work on at all times. This makes it a little more real in the moment, and they've got to be good at it now. The truth is, for us, though, creatively, behind the scenes, um, this really is is helpful to us because we have spent the last probably a couple of years, uh, I know for me anyways, of every time we're writing these shows and, and laying them out, 
the problem has been, man, I, you know, I really want to get these talents debuted in the show. I really want to expose these talents and, and get them out there. I just don't have the, the, the time to do it in that one hour show. I just don't have the slot open to get them out there and let them begin to do what they do. So you, you run into the problem of having the time to execute, execute the show the way you want to and, and have that exposure for everybody. This opens that up dramatically. So I think you're going to see a lot of talent that have been chomping at the bit for a while to show everybody what they can do now finally get that opportunity um, and, and the opportunity to just get cut loose on the world and, and show everybody who they are. Absolutely. And I think it's fair to say also that going from a taped product that would run, you know, 45 minutes to an hour on the network to TV, there's the commercial element as well. So you are adding time to the show, but perhaps not as much as people may actually think, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we are adding time to the show. The one thing that we, you know, we're not going to do is, um, you know, do a show and then commercial break. We don't do anything and then come back and 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 go on with the show. Right. So in in essence, you're you're creating a longer show, but you're you're carrying it through all those commercial breaks anyway. So it is a two hour show, but for airtime, uh, your point is is exactly that. It's not quite as as um, big of a change as people would would be, you know, thinking in their mind when you actually uh, do a two-hour show or, you know, even a one-hour show, that the time that you're actually on the air is a lot less. Um, you know, commercial time uh, takes up a lot of it, and that's for everybody across the board. There's nothing anyone can do about that, but that is what it is. Now, we've, ha- we've had you on this show a handful of times now, and every single time that we have you on, we always ask you about competition, that you see NXT as the competition for the main roster. Well, what you're doing now is you're going basically on the home of Raw two days later, uh, certainly cable television for two hours, and you have NXT, this yellow brand, as a quasi-third main roster brand, or maybe you consider it a third main roster brand. So how is NXT going to be treated in regards to Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, drafts, shakeups? How do you guys see it now fitting in this WWE universe? I do, uh, to your point, see it as a third brand i have for a while now um i think you know the perception is starting to become that and i think now that you you know when it was in a different location before uh of being on the wwe network there's there's just a smaller viewing audience right very passionate but smaller viewing audience so it was tough to say you know it's oh it's at the same level now with a move to usa network um it very much is, you know, to, to me, there'll be no difference live two hours every week. The quality of the show will speak for itself. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, I know, I know that the performers on Ron Smackdown will be watching that show to see what everybody is doing. And, and if they need to up their game, they will, as will everybody on NXT, vice versa, watching them. Um, the truth is for us at for NXT, the competition will be amongst ourselves to raise the bar every single time we're on TV and, and do something more. Um, but the goal is to have it become where everybody sees it as just that three brands, NXT, which would encompass the UK and, and, uh, the other brands that we have. And then Ron Smackdown individually as their own, where talent can go back and forth between the three, depending on what brand they are on at that time. Um, and, and have it be meaningful there to their careers. If you've 
been on Raw or you've been on SmackDown for many years and you need a revamp and you need to do something else, going to a fresh brand, something different with a different feel and, and vibe to it is meaningful um, to, to um, you know, to relaunching who you are, to reinvigorating yourself, to reinventing yourself as a performer and a character, which for talent that have been around this a long time, the ones that last the duration are the ones that can reinvent themselves. And that's something you also you had mentioned for quite a while, but we hadn't necessarily seen it too much. We are now with Tyler Breeze, Fandango, and a couple other guys who are going down, you know, getting a couple matches under their belts and then kind of coming right back up, which is really good to see, certainly. I know there was another interview you had, it was a week or two ago, where someone brought up concern from fans that with NXT moving to television, cable television, that there would be more of an influence from maybe some of the, not that you're not a higher up, but a, a Vince McMahon, a Kevin Dunn and things like that. And I don't think that was so much meant to be a negative in terms of Vince, but more people really love the NXT product as it exists today. They love the takeovers. They love the, the ring work and the match quality. So with this move to USA Network, forgetting about whether anyone else is going to be involved, which I basically think you said, no, absolutely not. Um, is the product going to change? Are we going to see anything different? Well, as far as the product changing, I always want the product to change and get better um, from my point of view. So will it, will it hopefully get better? Yes. Will that be, you know, uh, will, will Vince or anybody else's involvement um, change the core of what it is? No. They, they, the, the intent is not for them to be involved. You know, the one thing that people don't give Vince credit for is none of this would happen without him. NXT doesn't exist. The, the, the concept of it, the brand of it, the idea of it, of being this alternative brand doesn't exist without him saying it exists. Right. Um, and, and, and that, um, you know, that, that is, is part of what makes it great is, is his ability to let us do that. And then his ability to step back and say, now this is what it is, but I'm not going to change that because it moves to a different platform. It's successful for a reason. And I want that reason to continue and grow. Um, truth is everything in WWE has his fingerprint on it, even NXT, because I've sat under his learning tree for 25 plus years. Um, and a lot of the things that I do were learned directly from him. So, um, you know, it, it definitely has his fingerprint. Everything in the company has his fingerprint, but we're not looking to change NXT. He's not looking to get involved. And he, trust me, he's got enough stuff going on. <laughs> um, NXT is going to be what it is and what it has been as, as an alternative and a much more um, for our core base, for the people that are just super passionate, um, you know, really into what we do um, as opposed to being just kind of a sort of a casual fan. For the people that are really into it, this is this is a brand for them. They're going to feel like this is home for them. And um, if anything, we'll just make it more of that. Well, speaking about being passionate and really into NXT, there may be no one who's a better example of that than Mauro Ronaldo. obviously your lead play-by-play -play man. And I think there was some concern also, from fans at least, that moving to two hours, having it be live every week, considering how busy his schedule and life is, that, you know, there may be some issue with him continuing with NXT. Obviously, he came out, said, I'm in all the way. He's super excited about it. Uh, was there concern about Morrow maybe not being able to fit this into a schedule and make this move? And has there been any extensions with him contractually or anything like that? Yeah, so, you know, Morrow is, um, 
can't state enough how much he's the he's the voice of the brand. Um, you know, him fitting it into his schedule, he's so excited about this. I think he would move a mountain if he had to <laughs> to uh, to be a part of this every single week right now. Um, but but if, you know, those discussions are happening. Moore will definitely be a part of this, and definitely, hopefully, be a part of it every single week and takeovers and all of it and continue to be the voice. Um, we're discussing. Uh, and, and trying to, uh, as you can imagine, we we discussed it prior, uh, but also couldn't really do anything until it actually happened. Once it happened, now it's moving pretty quickly, and we're just trying to to to, to cross the T's and dot the I's, so to speak. But we're there on everything and everybody's desire to do it and, and all of that. So it's, it's really just um, you know scheduling and 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 different bits and pieces and uh, you know weekly television is a lot. Uh, flying around the country and doing all of it and, and being up for it. So, uh, but luckily there's nobody better that does it than Morrow. And uh, I can't wait for him to, to you know, we're, we're going to figure this all out and uh, put the pieces in place we need to. And uh, I can't wait for him to uh, some of my favorite stuff I do uh, now on a weekly basis on Wednesday will be to watch my spy cam and see how excited Morrow is calling <laughs> stuff, jump, jumping out of his seat. Absolutely. Now, we've seen uh, Pete Dunne and Rhea Ripley recently in NXT over from NXT UK. Certainly, you guys just put on a hell of a show with NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff. Um, are we Now that NXT is expanding to two hours, obviously moving to USA Network, do you think we will see even more uh, UK talent on the American brand just because of roster size and, and different storyline needs and things like that? Or is the goal still to keep it as separate as, as possible at this point? No, I, I see the, the UK championship and, and that brand itself while being its own standalone thing in the UK. Um, I see it definitely sitting underneath the banner of NXT, which means it can be a part of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to showcase the best talent in the world. And I think obviously when you look at that brand and, and clearly Cardiff was an example of that, some of the best in the world are right there. Tyler Bate and Walter and, and just everybody on that card, top to bottom. Um, so the opportunity for them to come uh, to the U.S. and participate on on Raw on a weekly basis or w- when when we can, but yet have their own uh, thing going on over there, I think is going to be very meaningful. I think you'll see the same thing with the guys in 205 Live as the cruiserweights uh, become more and more part of of NXT and, and that that world. And as as brands continue to grow and evolve, much like we've done in the UK, we will do that in other markets around the world. Um, they'll continue to be a part of this as well. It's it's all about growing and expanding. And Paul, I'll get you out of here on this. Um, there's been a lot of talk recently, certainly about new competition in the professional wrestling sports entertainment landscape, especially <laughs> on Wednesday nights. Now, people kind of forget that you guys have been established on Wednesday nights for the last five years. So internally... How do you guys look at this new competition, almost kind of trying to come in on your own domain on Wednesdays and also just the scene as a whole? How is WWE and NXT not so much looking to respond to that, but looking to answer it from a a quality or or a branding standpoint? Uh, Look, I I think that the the end of the day, the winner in all of this are are fans and they get to to, to choose the best product of what they want to watch. Um, and, and you're right. We, we've been on Wednesdays since the beginning. Um, this was more about just a, a, a platform shift for NXT than it was anything else. Um, that being said, on Wednesday nights, our goal is the same as it's been every single Wednesday night that we've been on since the beginning is to put on the best show possible 
and uh, continue to tell the stories that captivate our fan base, um, you know, that that's going to continue to be the goal. And I will, uh, while, while competition is, is exciting, I think it's great for everybody. Um, I will put our roster up against uh, the, the NXT roster up against any roster on the planet. There's nobody that I would trade. There's nobody that I would, uh, would switch out uh, for anyone. So I'll put them up against anybody on the planet and uh, go toe to toe. And, and, and uh, I'm very confident that we will put on uh, the best show long-term and captivate fans um, in a meaningful way. And, and uh, if you've liked NXT in the past, you know, Long before it was the, 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 the catchy thing to say, we were the alternative and, uh, we're going to continue to do what we do and, uh, show the world that much like everybody in the PC, the athletes that are there, that's what they're trying to do on a daily basis is put their mark on the world, show everyone who they are. Um, we will show the world that we are NXT and, and, uh, and, and, uh, put on the best product we possibly can. Absolutely, and and you can find that product, what I consider pound for pound, the best professional wrestling brand on the planet right now, every Wednesday, beginning September 18th, live at 8 p.m. Eastern for two hours on USA Network. Paul, thanks again for all the time. Thanks for answering all the questions, and best of luck with NXT's uh, new life here on USA Network. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right, and we're back. BC, so how'd you think that went? And, uh... What did you want to ask, Paul, that I didn't get the opportunity to during my conversation with him? You hit a lot of the notes that I care about. I mean, look, the number one thing is is you you doubled down on the comments he that started to leak out of him being like, look, everyone thinks Vince is A, horrible, and B, he's going to come in here and take over and ruin NXT. So I think that number one is a giant, a giant reveal from Tri- Trip. It's not that he didn't say it before, but to hear him so passionately say, look, Vince is A, a real busy dude. And B, this is a formula that works. Why would he come in here and tear this apart and rip it up? That shows me that Trips has a backbone, Adam. That shows me that Paul Levesque knows what he has in NXT, knows this is the future of wrestling, knows the impact of this move to go live in the essentially the raw slot on USA Network and really make a run, not just at competing directly with AEW, but like I like to say, maybe switching over Raw and SmackDown fans in the long run. That I love that he stood firm in that. And look, of course he's going to put over his father-in-law. And he's going to remind us that, uh, you know, none of this happens without Vince. I can respect that answer. That, you know, NXT would never have started without Vince okaying it and all that good stuff. But we've had a trips on a lot. And in one of those early interviews, I believe we asked him about his own legacy. Like, he's, you know, he's an all-time wrestler. But he's doing so much in the executive role that it's almost beginning to outshadow in some weird ways his wrestling work and adam this is a major moment in the legacy of triple h he was tasked with creating this farm system they took that closet thing they were doing in tampa fcw turned it into this machine with the pc and this machine is actually better than the front of their store which is insane and it is and he's allowed at least from what we hear to keep it that way to keep the flavor the same I came out of your interview confident that he's going to get the chance to give us what we want. Because, Adam, you and I have debated on this show a few times when it comes to the booking of NXT. It's one thing to do it a month in advance in an hour show that's taped. But going two hours live, this is good pressure. 
we are going to find out right now whether Trips actually is ready to drive the entire ship if he had to, and I couldn't be more excited to see. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think coming out of it, uh, I was I was pleased in general with his answers um, across the board, really. Both what should we expect from this show? You know, will Vince actually be involved? To which he obviously said no, as you mentioned. Um, but also just the difficulties of going from a one-hour tape show to two hours live, how maybe it's not as difficult as some may think in terms of the actual run of programming due to commercials and things like that, and and really what his expectations are for NXT going forward. I also really enjoyed the, that I gave him the opportunity to kind of stand up for NXT originally being on Wednesday nights and AEW almost invading their spot a little bit. Uh, but the things that I, I feel like may have fallen short were I really did want to ask him about AEW's multiple mentions of him because they're yes. not talking about Vince. The throne is about Triple H. The fake Triple H character on Being the Elite is him. Uh, Hangman Page talking about Hunter Horse Helmsley is obviously him, not Vince. They're going after Triple H here. So the fact that WWE is answering with NXT, it's almost basically what AEW has been asking for. They're about to get what they've been asking for. I wish I had the opportunity to talk to him about that. The future of 205 Live now that this is all happening. But the one thing that we did get to ask him, or that, that I did, I guess, that really no one else has, is the future of Mauro Ronaldo. And I thought his answer was extremely interesting because he didn't just come out and say, yes, Mauro is 100% in every single show all the time. He said, we're so happy that Mauro wants to do this, and we're currently working on an agreement with him to figure out how that's going to work with all his myriad responsibilities. Obviously, he does Bellator, he does boxing for Showtime, and does a couple other things as well. Um, but what he made it sound like to me is that Morrow is the voice of NXT. But at the same time, there may be occasions where he's not. And that just may be scheduling. It may be for other reasons. The fact that it's live every single Wednesday night in Orlando. He does not live in Orlando. He lives, I believe, uh, in on, in, Cal- in uh, Canada, right? No, less um, so, so that's quite a trip. He can't be making that trip every single week. So really, what is going to happen with Morrow? And I thought he was pretty candid saying, look, we're trying to extend him or, or adjust his deal. It's not done yet, but we're all on board. He's on board, and he's such a big, important part. And what I loved, the best answer of the entire interview, uh, if I was in Gorilla, what I would be doing while I, Silver King, was watching NXT, if I was in his spot, is I'd be mo- watching Morrow's personal camera. And he said that he can't wait to do that every single Wednesday night. And, and I agree. I hope they actually put a Morrow cam on and put that on USA Network. That would be unique. I didn't come out of there. Uh, okay, look, we all have the same fears that I think in some degrees he was addressing. Uh, a big part of Moro on SmackDown not working out was the travel. Okay? it's NXT was different because he could do it all in one day or two days or whatever it was for their tapings and get it done. The idea of going weekly, yes, you have to wonder if there's added concern there. But I took it more from what he said as like, look, there's still negotiations going on. Because when you go from doing a taped once a month thing on the network to now I'm doing a weekly two hour live show, I'm sure that affects and changes contracts. So without having any inside info, I took it more as a contract thing. But obviously there's probably legitimate concern. I did love his double and triple putting more over and just being like, look, like Moro is NXT. And, and to, we can't underscore, even though we're Moro f- fans, I'm, I'm 
consider him a true friend. Uh, their resurgence, they're, they're not resurgence. They're taking off in 2018 where NXT first became not just as good, but actually better than WWE proper and, and sometimes better than NJPW, depending on your opinion and all that. Moro was such a giant part of that. Like, absolutely. I once told Moro to his face and I thought I was giving a monster compliment. I'm like, Moro, you're only the announcer. And you're like 40% of what makes NXT great. And I think he actually took that as an insult, almost like, oh, wow, only 40%. And I was like, no, no more. You got to understand. Look, these are like some of the best wrestlers in the world. And they're telling insane stories and they're doing theatrics. But I value your voice so much in this that you're 40%. Now I'm thinking about maybe it's more than that. I mean, really, he's the perfect announcer for that brand. We've already nailed that. I love that Trips gets that and sees that and realizes that. So uh, I'm cheering for T. We're Team Moro here, obviously. So I'm cheering for that. I would have loved if, obviously, if Trips could could uh, give you the response you wanted to Cody and all that, but he's going to give a canned response. Maybe, maybe he would have come original. Uh, you saw that that speech he gave after the NXT takeover in UK, where he was just like, uh, you know, top this, everyone else, everyone else we're competing with, top this, you know. And he did go go down on on that comment to you. Wow, going going down. That's how do I shut this stuff off? Wow, oh, uh, it's getting late. He did go down on that comment there, Adam, where he said to you that I'll put my roster up against any in the world, and and I respect that. So uh, thank you. That's it. That's Paul Levesque. You got anything else for me? No, you don't. No, but we need to move on to uh, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, don't yeah, we? Yeah, t- maybe it's time to... Uh... You've had some sunny days, my friend. We did on this podcast, and we have HBK, Shawn Michaels himself, sat down with the Silver King and I to talk NXT and much more coming at you right now. Enjoy. Oh, you know, it's so fired up to welcome in on the CBS Sports State of Combat podcast, WWE Hall of Famer, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, and HBK. You know I'm always going to be fired up to talk to you because on the side of history, this podcast is a Shawn show, not a Brett show. So let's that be known. <laughs> but even more importantly for business, NXT makes the television debut Wednesday, September 18th, USA Network, live, two hours every week. We have know the past couple of years you've played such a big hand behind the scenes in developing a brand that is no longer a developmental brand. For you guys, the trainers, for those men and women in the locker room, what does this mean? Well, uh, you know, this is an affirmation of, of I think, of all those things that, that you just said. I can I can remember... Um, coming into the Performance Center in NXT three years ago, and seeing what they had to offer, and 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 you know, telling people like, "My goodness, this is this is going to be on TV someday." I don't know, you know, I I, I was uh, stunned that it wasn't already, uh, but clearly, you know, with the network and all that, that was driving the WWE network. But you knew it was the TV ready then, and and three years later, it's finally going to come to fruition on the USA network. And, um, I, you know, I'm thrilled for the, you know, for the young men and women of, of NXT. Um, you know, they, they're going to get an opportunity now to, uh, you know, show the world, show the nation, show the world that, that they're, uh, you know, that they're sort of, uh, the big deal, the big, the, the big cheeses, if you will, um, on the block. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled for them and excited to, you know, to help them in any, in any way I can. You know, Sean, this this brand NXT. I mean, it's my favorite. It might be my favorite of all the rest, the great wrestling that's going on right now in 2019, and sort of this third boom period. I think what what Trips and Paul Levesque and the other guys behind the scenes and you have been able to do is sort of mix what was great about the old territory days 
and adapt it with what's great about where wrestling has gone today with the work rate and the athleticism, but never going away from the story. How important is that for you even today when you guys are setting up the takeovers, when you guys are mapping out the future to, to sort of find that perfect formula to, because there's so many different kinds of wrestling, but this formula that you guys are doing in NXT feels so special. Well, I, I think because in the creative process, it's such a blast for us to do. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, it's sort of the uh, same type of stuff that Hunter and I used to do driving around in the car. Um, and, and now it's just, I guess, sort of sitting in a, a boardroom or, or, or you know, on a conference call and kicking around a lot of ideas uh, with, with everybody else involved. And it's, it's, it's just, it is, it, it's about enjoying the process. Uh, like keeping those stories uh, and all of that intact. And then, of course, combining that with, again, which also, you know, you touched on, is the unbelievable athletic ability. I, for one, um, have absolutely no ability to be that better old timer by any chance <laughs> and say, like, oh, these kids today are doing too much, too much of that. I can remember. Uh, people feeling that way about me and, and, you know, saying it, saying in my heart of hearts that I was never going to do that. And, uh, and I don't, I don't do it now. I think what they do is unbelievable. Uh, I love the athletic ability. Um, and we just try to do our best to allow them to grow, continue to take the wrestling business and the, and the athleticism of the wrestling business into the future, but try to temper that and balance that. Uh, with the continued storyline, character development, and just the storytelling process that I think has been sort of the hallmark of NXT. Yeah, no question about it. I I couldn't be more fired up with what you guys are doing. More to talk about NXT in a second, but it's a great time for WWE in general. SmackDown going on Fox Friday nights, October 4th beginning. Big celebration there. And we've seen Shawn Michaels, the legend, back on WWE TV here and there. And I got to kind of put you on trial here, Sean. This build, the SummerSlam this year, I mean, you, you kicked me. You gave me a super kick to the field spot. I'm thinking I'm getting HBK and Dolph Ziggler against each other. And, and, and no disrespect to Bill Goldberg. But what the hell happened here, Paul? Yeah, I, well, Sean, you can't do that to my feels, brother. <laughs> well, uh, well look, look, I never know when, the, honestly, the, the, the phone call is going to come and, and I, I'm going to jump on a plane. And so I was just I was just sort of doing what I was asked to do. If nothing else, all these years later, after 30 years, I'm a pretty good employee. Um, and so I just I just do what I'm, I'm told, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, it, it was uh, it was fun to do. But it was it was there was absolutely absolutely no. Uh, even thought of me and, and Dolph or anything like that. It was uh, always going to be Bill, and I, I think they just sort of needed somebody to to uh, light the fuse, I guess, uh, for Dolph in that respect, and um, I was the guy to do it, as best I can understand. Oh, man, you gave me a few different sunny days there, and then they got pulled out <laughs> right from under me. Uh, speaking of you making the comeback in the ring, I mean, I've interviewed you many times, and that was always that lingering question in the background of, can you do it? Would you do it? Why won't you do it? But then you did it. You did it in Saudi Arabia in a tag team match involving Kane and The Undertaker. Why then, Sean, to make that comeback after holding out for so many years? Well, yeah, again, because I guess it was a, a totally different situation. It was uh, a tag match. It was 
a special request from you know from my boss, so to speak. Um, and and you know again you you I guess I always felt that I'm, if I'm not doing WrestleMania, to me that's you know that was the one that anybody would uh, you know what I mean. If you're going to come back, that's the one that I'm going to come back at or do. And I, I just feel like if you're in a tag match, just it's the same thing. And I know it's not right to say it. I don't mean it in a negative way. But to me, it sort of just felt like a house show that somebody asked me to make. So I went ahead and did it in a tag match and and just got it all over with. Um, and it's one of those things that gets funny because for 10 years, it's, you know, it's, you think it's going to go away, but after a decade and people are still asking, sometimes the best way to get people to stop doing it is just do it, um, but do it only kind of. You know, which is what I did. And now nobody talks about it anymore, which is nice. Or you can get questions like my follow-up, which is now that you have done that, gets us thinking and booking dream matches ourselves. I'm curious, in your mind, if you were to come back, we're not saying you're going to, you're basically not saying you're going to, but if you were, who would it be? AJ Styles, Ricochet, Adam Cole. I mean, there's so many different matches, Seth Rollins, that people would like to see with you. Who is the guy that you have seen whether through NXT or in the times that you're back with the main roster on Raw and SmackDown occasionally, that you kind of had your eye on and said, man, I really wish I was around right now so I could wrestle him. Well, truth be told, that's one of the reasons, honestly, why it's so easy to say no, because there, because there's a litany of guys. I mean, it would be, it, it's sort of like when people say, oh, what's your favorite match? And it's hard for me to come up with just one. I mean, that's how it is now with me saying, who would you like to have a match with? There is absolutely so much depth of talent in the WWE and, and the wrestling world as a whole that it is absolutely impossible. You know, I mean, honestly, it is to me because I feel like, you know, one of the things that I was relatively decent at was matching up with just about anybody. And there is so much variety now that even in my, my old age, so to speak, you just feel like there's no way you couldn't have a great match with a number of guys. I mean, again, all the people you mentioned, um, and then, of course, there's an entire NXT roster uh, that's there. So the talent, in my opinion, is just off the charts these days. And I will say that because that that is what makes, you know, sincerely makes the decision easy because there's no way you could pick just one because there's, I don't know, there's just, there's so many different varieties, again, you have to pick from. I don't know how I'd narrow it down. Yeah, understandable on that. And I know that uh, AJ Styles did make headlines a few weeks ago saying he had made that pitch to you to do one more with you and you had turned him down. So I, I, I'll respect that. I'll respect that answer from you. How did it feel, though, when you were back in that setting, main eventing again, working alongside your buddy Trips, who really gutted out an injury to make that match work? How were you, your harshest critic, breaking down Shawn Michaels' performance after all these years? Well, so the the most important thing to me, honestly, was uh, being in there with Hunter. That's you know more than any reason at all. That's why that's why I did it. You know what I mean? It's as silly as it sounds. I'm so fortunate to get the opportunity to, you know, sort of have a, a last ride with your best friend in the sunset, and that's what I wanted to do with him. Um, but I mean, as far as look, as far as what I did, I was 
the biggest thing I was worried about is like, gosh, can you nip up? I haven't nipped up in 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, there's absolutely, you know, there's no, and it's funny because I swore, like, I could try to get in the ring and and get an opportunity to try that. And of course, as always, I didn't. I didn't get an opportunity to do it. It was so busy beforehand. So you go out there and you go, well, it's going to have to sort of be there. I certainly hope I make it. Thankfully, I did. But honestly, uh, it's, I was pretty certain I can, I feel like I, I know me, but I've just always, you know, a bit concerned saying it, you know, aloud for fear that it'll be the one time I can't, but I'm always pretty confident that I can go in there. I can always do my part, uh, to be perfectly honest. There just, there just isn't going to come a day when I can't nip up, when I can't drop an elbow, when I can't, you know, when I can't move a little bit, you know, across that ring. It's just, that's something that I don't think is ever going to, you know, leave my system you know, and then, you know, unless, of course, you know, you know what I mean when I'm really, 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 really old. But uh, <laughs> um, again, even now, I can still go out there and run across the ring and nip up and stuff like that. Um, so it, it'll, you know, it'll be a few years where I can't do that kind of stuff. So I'm always confident that I can do that. But, you know, how it blends together with somebody else, uh, you know, that, that's the, you know, the unknown that you don't know. And that's where the wheels can fall off. So it's, uh, that's why I always stay out of the ring because, it's uh, just easier, better safe than sorry. I can I can certainly respect that. Now NXT going like we said to the USA Network, two hours live. It's it's in a lot of ways could could I mean it ups the ante to a lot of degrees. Every week, two hours, eight to ten p.m. Eastern USA Network. The fact that it happens to be on the same night, Sean, as the launch of a, a rival company in AEW has people talking Monday Night Wars all over again. I love that idea. I love that conversation. But I even better, Sean, like the idea of how much is this a competition of NXT against Raw and SmackDown? Because we've had Hunter on this show before, and we said, what is WWE proper's biggest competitor out there? And he said, look, it's NXT. Those are the guys at the TakeOvers who are pushing everyone to be better. Sean, can this actually turn out to be a war where that yellow and black brand on NXT has the potential, either ratings-wise or critical-wise, to outshine Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, well, again, and that is not not to minimize, you know, the other guys at all, but certainly from our talent standpoint, that's that's the way they look at it. They're, they are, much like everybody who's in the wrestling business, they're in competition with everybody. Again, all of them across the board, everybody has friends, they're, you know, much like we did back in the day but we were all still competitive, even when we were sharing the same locker room. Um, and that hasn't changed in the wrestling business. Everybody that gets in that ring is competitive with every other person that gets in that ring. And NXT is no different. They're going to go out there and they're going to compete against every wrestling genre that is out there as far as they're concerned. And and look, I mean, it, it shouldn't be any other way. I think everybody should be doing that. Um, and the people that are the big winners of that are, are all of us that get to watch. Um, but make no mistake about it, the men and women of NXT um, look at the entire world as their competition, and they want to go out there and show everybody why they think they're the best and why you should be watching them. And on USA, you know, you know on Wednesday nights, you're going to have that opportunity, and uh, they're going to let it all hang out. It is going to be a blast, and... This is going to be fun for not only them, but for every wrestling fan walking the face of gas readers. Now, you've been there for a little while working with the men and women of NXT and the WWE uh, Performance Center. Aside from this USA 
move, which obviously is massive. What is the thing that really you've taken the most pride from uh, that, that you've been able to contribute on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis at the Performance Center? Well, I, I, you know, I, I think helping um, the guys that I work with advance in areas. I guess the thing that I always enjoy is when these guys uh, and girls that I work with who have been in the wrestling business, some of them have 10 years, 12 years, and they look at me and they go, I have literally never heard that. <laughs> I think that's the thing um, you know, that I enjoy most. When I teach them or, well, you know, let's, let's backtrack. When they are somehow, because I don't know if I teach anybody anything, but they are somehow enlightened by something I say, <laughs> and they look at me and they say, I've literally never heard that. I've been doing this for 10 years, and no, no one's ever said that that way or made me look at the wrestling business this way. You look at the wrestling business this way. Those are the things uh, that I enjoy the most. Because as I told them when I got here, one of the things I want us to do is to not think about you know, I don't know, the way wrestling's always been. So much of this job is about pushing to the future. And the only way you can do that is by taking risks. You've got to push yourself. You've got to take chances. We already know what works. The only way to find out what's going to continue to work, to continue to grow, is to stretch yourself in a creative way and do things that you haven't always done and get outside of your comfort zone. And, uh, you know, myself and, and, and our group has, has really enjoyed is that we've all been growing and learning together uh, about taking the wrestling business into the future. We know what works, what's going to work tomorrow, next week, and a year from now. That's the joy of the wrestling business is continuing to expand as a performer, uh, both professionally and creatively. Well said indeed. He's a two-time WWE Hall of Famer. He's the heartbreak kid. He plays a big role and what NXT is doing, and they're moving. Wednesday, September 18th, USA Network, two hours live every single week, beginning 8 p.m. Eastern. Sean, it's been great going up and down the road with you. Could have gone in millions of directions. We appreciate your candid responses. And, you know, I don't know if people have regrets in their career, but if you ever want to have a rematch with Brett in the locker room at Hartford, I got your back, all right? I got your back, Sean. (laughs) All right, thank you very much, guys. Great talking to you. Appreciate it. Take care. Wow, uh, look, when it's HBK time, Adam, as we mentioned in that interview, is there 5,000 questions you can ask him? Yes. I like this version of HBK. Uh, how, what do you think his emotion was to your final question? Like, I was having fun. Was it, you know, maybe it was a counter jab from me because he no sold our question so badly on, uh, coming back and all that, but, uh, yeah, he might have thought I was a dick. I almost felt bad afterwards. But as you and I were talking offline, I had much, much worth, worse questions lined up for him involving. Uh, to say for the record, I was not banging something. And we decided for the sake of decency not to run those. But a uh, little jab I took at HBK. <laughs> Adam, I like the breakdown of his mindset on coming back. And we all didn't want him to come back in Saudi, and he did. And he did punt in certain aspects of the comebacking questions. But at the end of the day, Adam... Do you think the Saudi Arabia thing came more down to not even being a company team player, just, hey, Sean, we'll pay you like five years worth of salary to go wrestle one match for the Sultan? Absolutely. And you know what? 
there's a lot of things I don't like about the Saudi Arabia deal, the, the blood money in the sand and them going over there. But the one thing I will not do is, you know, shame the performers for taking the payout. So if, if Sean is offered, you know, I'm making up a number, purely making up a number. But if they're like, hey, Sean, one match, $5 million, would you say no to that? See, I no, was thinking probably more wouldn't. off the top of my head guessing. I'm like, what if they offered him like, you know, 500000 for that match or, or 750000 Like Whatever whatever yeah, it is, it was worth You'd him have to take it because doing. like Sean's probably well off, a lot of money in the bank, wrestled for many years. But for any retired anyone, any retired anyone, by the way, and I know he's back at work with NXT, obviously, but any retired anyone, and he's in his 50s, you get offered like, you know, five years worth of prime salary, you know, or whatever for for an average person in one night. Yeah, you're going to buy that vacation home. You're going to pay off your son's college. You're going to do all that. So I'm not mad at that. I'm just mad at. I'm mad at him being done after that. Well, that's your fault. You built up this Dolph Ziggler HBK thing that was never going to happen. Don't tease the bag. All right, I told you so many mess. times that they're not going in that direction. Sean, you just refuse to believe the bag, it. bro. Okay. I was ready for the mess. Um, I love HBK in this coaching role. I love how he broke down what makes NXT good. The formula, the flavor at the end of the day, um, you know, I almost asked him about shaving his head and going bald, but I didn't want to insult him. Turns out I insulted him anyway. What am I going to do, Adam? Who I'm an a-hole. What do you want? I don't know that you insulted him. It was more just like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> you know, it was just like, hey, we just had a really nice interview. Oh, yeah, it ended that way. All right. All right. That, yeah, that's it. It was fine. But I, I, li- I liked what he had to say, though, about um, the benefit and the value he sees in his current role, that he doesn't even like to think that he's teaching them things, but more just imparting wisdom of being in the business for so long. Um, it's clear they, everyone in the performance center, when you talk to them about like, who's making an impact on their career, Shawn Michaels. And and as he even said, there's people who, you know, he will say say something to, maybe it's an offhanded comment. And the fact that a veteran in the business can come to him and say, wow, I've been wrestling for 15 years and I've never heard that before. That's pretty outstanding, right? This is one of the best to ever do it. Whether you think he's the greatest wrestler of all time or the greatest wrestler of an era, or even neither of those. You have to respect what Shawn Michaels did over his career in WWE. Um, and the fact that WWE and Triple H has him in that type of role there. This is a performance center. Let's not forget that, you know, lost Dusty Rhodes, who was really running the show and responsible for the creation of many of these characters, particularly the women. Uh, but to get Shawn there at this juncture and have Triple H now with HBK, Brian Road Dog, Jesse James over there. Um, and who and all the other guest coaches that they have, they're doing something very special at the Performance Center. And I'm honestly curious, once NXT gets on USA Network, you know what WWE's want to do. They bring on Raw and SmackDown the chairman in every once in a while to pop ratings. They do this or that. Are they going to use Triple H or Sean to pop a rating on NXT on USA Network every once in a while? Or are they really going to stick with this formula have William Regal be the only authority figure and just run the shows just like they had been on WWE Network? Probably. I think it works with Regal, so I'm okay with that. I don't know. The ratings will tell all. Look, there's big money at stake now, so the ratings will tell all. Like, we wondered if Kevin Owens is going to go to NXT to just give that extra layer of star power. So if you are a fan who gives it a chance, but you go, I don't know any of these guys, and maybe you don't understand the taste of great steak, 
you don't have anything to pop for. But um, I, I was going to say, I wonder if he could become that dusty role for them, that invaluable dusty role. And I was going to say maybe it's more of of making matches than dusty was more of character development. But I don't want to put anything short of what those guys from that era know. Like, look, those guys that came up in the 80s and before that in the territory system. Think of the invaluable education they got night after night of wrestling top veterans, like all around the country in different areas that you just can't really get today. Like I had that was really lucky in 2016 to, or sorry, early 2017 to go to a uh, all day indie wrestling like camp that Ricky Steamboat was putting on. And like, it's funny looking back, that was only a couple of years ago and young Ricochet, young Matt Taven, uh, <clears throat> young Flip Gordon were just a couple of guys who happened to be there as indie wrestlers, even though a couple of those are obviously well known. A couple of the guys that were with Ring of Honor now, and uh, seven hours of hearing Ricky Steamboat break down things that seem so subtle and basic, yet are so brilliant when you put them together with other things. The guys from that era are invaluable to the guys today, so I'm really glad that Sean's got that opportunity and that he's doing that because. Man, you like they. I mean, you appreciate the '80s because they could take things that are so basic and stretch it out and get so much out of each tiny movement or look. I mean, look at the Rock with the eyebrow, like all the little things that really, not to sound like the old guy on the porch, but that do get lost in today's flippy floppy society. So, no wonder Adam that NXT is the perfect mix of old and new in terms of the product they put out. Didn't uh, Ricky Steamboat no sell you recently? Yeah, so Ricky Steamboat doesn't always have – he is a nice guy when you talk to him, but he doesn't always have the best reputation in these type of situations. He'll no-sell a dude. So um, he not only no-sold me in the reference you were making at this most recent WrestleMania in New Jersey when he clearly saw me getting up, pulling out my uh, phone to take a picture of him and I because I love the man, and he straight up turned right in my face and walked away. (laughs) But let's not forget in Orlando at WrestleMania 32 – in 2017, which was two weeks after I spent a full day with him and then talked with him on the phone a week later for an hour that he parked next to us when we pulled into the lot. I reached out my hand and like was That's like, right. oh, you know, we just hung in and just straight up smiled and no sold the ish out of me. Like, like I could have said I was the drive through guy at McDonald's. I was like, yeah, whatever, dude, like whatever. I, I got I got my wife with me and I'm going to go up in the suite and you're going to get out of my way. And that was I'm uh, just- I'm just realizing we've been to three WrestleManias in our very short time together working yeah, with CBS Sports. That's pretty crazy. To, so, you know. All right, that's it. That's the show, Adam. I got nothing more. It's past midnight, okay? I don't, no, I'm no, it... listen, listen. Five-star reviews. Follow us on Twitter, at State of Combat. Let us know what you think of our interviews. Be sure to tune into NXT on uh, Wednesday, September 18th, live, 8 p.m. on USA Network. And don't forget, our next WWE episode of State of Combat will be Thursday, this week as it was last week. Uh, BC, what do you have ahead for your other State of Combat shows this week? Yeah, you're not going to want to miss the MMA show with Rashad Evans. Our special guest will be UFC heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic. Is he going to do that John Jones super fight at heavyweight? I'm going to talk to him about that and much more on the boxing show. We got some big-time guests as well. Look, that co-main event for that Spence Porter pay-per-view on September 28th, David Benavides Jr. and Anthony Durrell. I got both guys coming at you. You're not going to want to miss this one. Uh, yeah, that's it, Adam. I don't want to talk anymore. All right. Well, too bad. I have one question on the way out. Give him a tease for the boxing show. Should the Fury fight have been stopped? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long debate. 
It's a long debate. Do you want to take the unbeaten lineal heavyweight champion of the world who can still keep coming but has a little bit of block division and say, no, you're done? Uh, would it have been stopped for a lesser fighter? Yes. This is the unbeaten heavyweight champion. Would it have been, would it have been stopped if it wasn't on ESPN promoting the lineal heavyweight champion 17,000 times on the uh, broadcast? Yeah, or ESPN going into the corner and letting Fury's corner know that the uh, was caused <laughs> by a punch and not a headbutt, which they already should have. A lot of wild things going on there. Uh, no slander of Vince Joe Tess on this timeline at the moment, but wow. All right, that's it for the show. The interview's over. Say goodbye, Adam. Okay, now say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, now get out of here. That's right a little now. rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And that's it. We out.